This morning is from 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, page 993 in your chair Bible. 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 to 12. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And then we're just going to turn the page to verses 17 to 19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. That's the reading of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Jesus, I pray that as we would uh, listen in on a conversation between Paul and Timothy, you would invite us more and more into your life and your grace. Uh, change our hearts and attitudes, Lord, that we would see uh, the true and the good and the beautiful, and that we would follow you, Lord. And give us courage to resist the temptations that we face, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. How are you doing? Good. Brilliant. All right. We, uh, we've been talking the last couple of weeks about money and generally in our lives, different things related to finances. We talked about the call of generosity. Last week, we talked a little more about the allure of great wealth. And this is the last uh, sermon in this short series before we head into Advent. Next week, we start our Advent series. It's the Christian New Year. Brilliant. There you go. Um, but this is the end of this of this series, and I want us to end on a note um, that's hopeful and realistic about the, the temptation of money, but also the reality of money in our lives. It's okay to have money. It's more about our attitudes and what we do with it. Uh, we're going to talk about that. In this passage, we find Paul writing to Timothy. Timothy's a young pastor, and Tim is up against... 
some clever teachers, there's some false teachers in the church, and they're motivated by a sense of self-gain. They are interested in being busy about the spiritual life, being involved in sort of the institution of religion so that they can feel good about themselves and get ahead in their own agendas, their own self-interest, which happens, unfortunately, this is not just a first century thing. We see this often. People who are involved in something that can be good, but twisting that to their own ends, or their own devices. So Paul's calling Tim in the middle of all of this stuff, leadership issues, and everything that's going on in his church. He calls him to stand firm in his beliefs, and you heard as Rob was reading it, to fight the good fight of the faith, to remain faithful, and to be vigilant in pursuing a life with God, not to get distracted by these other temptations and, and other allures, but to be faithful to what God has called him to. And all of us today, God is calling you into life with him. We often talk about God having a plan and purpose for your life. You hear that probably at different points in your life. And we often wonder about the specifics of that, right? Well, does that mean I'm called to do this or that and that kind of thing? And that's well and good. But before we can talk about the specifics of life, God calls you first and foremost into life and relationship with him. And if we follow him, if we are leaning into him, we find there's plenty to do without even getting too worried about the specifics. God will indeed look after the specifics of your calling, don't worry. But if you seek to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, guess what? You'll be busy enough just living those out. So it's okay. But uh, Paul is calling Timothy, don't give up on the life that you've been called to. Don't give up in following Jesus. And so what we find is a kind of an illustration of two paths. You've got the path that these false teachers are sort of implying and leading the church into. And then you've got Paul trying to call Timothy back to a path of righteousness. One's a, a path of self-seeking, and it's marked by greed and envy. And the other is an open-hearted, open-handed sort of life that's lived uh, in response to the gospel, and it's marked by a love of Jesus. And Paul's point here is this. He says, the false teachers will make you think that life is about getting. But true gain, Paul says, true wealth comes instead from godliness and contentment. It comes from responding to God's giving. Rather than orienting your life about how much you can get and how you can get ahead, Rather, we orient ourselves in response to what God has already given us. And that is a fundamental difference, uh, an approach, an attitude to life. One is self-serving. One is oriented more this way. What can I get out of this? And one says, God, you've already acted marvelously, amazingly at the cross for your salvation. Now let me live in response to what you've already you see the difference, of course. Paul says, in a sense, a devout life, living for God, living into God, leading into Him, is what will bring true wealth. That's great gain. Godliness and contentment. Look what he says here, verse 6. This is 1 Timothy 6 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And he's comparing that great gain to the great gain financially that some of these teachers were talking about. 
So how do we describe these? I've written them this way. Godliness is about a heart that follows hard after Jesus. Willingness to lay down sin. A willingness to repent. A willingness to walk in a new life. A willingness to be filled with the Spirit of God, as God says in Ezekiel and all through the Bible, I want to remove the heart of stone within you and give you a heart of flesh. I want to put my spirit within you. The problem with the world is not out there somewhere. The problem with evil is within me. I'm part of the problem. And God wants to remove the brokenness, the sinfulness, the evil in my heart, the bitterness, the envy, whatever it might be, and replace it with his love and with his spirit. That's godly seeking after God and his life, to be marked by him and God in the word, right? To be godly means to look like God, as we see in Jesus. And contentment, this talks about the disposition of our hearts, to rest in God's work, to rest in God's timing, to rest in God's provision, to realize I have enough, to to have a sense of peace about my life. And this, Paul says, is actually the source of true wealth of true wisdom, godliness, and contentment. If you want to live a good and meaningful life, seek God and learn to rest in Him and His promises. The problem is, I think for us, godliness brings up all kinds of images. And often when someone says, oh, well, we wouldn't often say this, I'm very godly. It sounds a little self-seeking, right? Like it just sounds a bit like that person's probably kind of full of themselves. <laughs> like, uh, really? Oh, okay. Um, it, it has the sense of godliness, of, of almost sound kind of confining or legalistic or, or something, right? That it sort of narrows our lives. But actually, it's just the opposite. Because to seek to be godly, as Paul's calling Timothy to, to be godly means to become like God in his character. And you become like God by spending time with him. The call to godliness is not a call to a legalistic list of rules and regulations, but the call to life and relationship with God. You become godly by spending time with Jesus. You become like that which you worship. You become like that which you love. Um, We often notice this in old married couples, we'll say, right? They start to look like each other. They start to act, you know, they just respond to each other. And, you know, there's, a, there's a learned pattern, right? They've been together for 50 years, and now they just kind of, you know, they just do their thing. They just kind of work together, right? And that's kind of a hilarious example. But the same is true as we cultivate a life with God, there is a familiarity in getting to know Him. There is a sense in which we work and respond to one another together, this sense of godliness. As we spend time with him, we allow him to shape our character and our motives and our desires. And think of it this way. We often think of God as the Lord, the giver of life. If you spend time with the giver of life, you become more alive, not less so. And so to be godly, to be a Christian, is not to have a narrowed life, but to actually be freed from sin. So you can, as my Old Testament professor used to say, run in the fields of salvation. You're opened up into new life. In fact, to be apart from God is to be confined. But to come to God is to be freed. It's not constricting. It's actually uh, full of grace and free. And I was thinking about this as I was uh, thinking back on uh, the Teen Challenge testimonies that we heard. Uh, when Teen Challenge was here and then they had their fundraiser, 
couple weeks ago. And one of them said, they're talking about seeking a life apart from God, right? Seeking a life of meaning through their addiction and how they felt trapped in that and how they were actually on the road to death, as one put it, right? To seek life apart from the giver of life is to choose a path towards death, is to choose a confined life. But the Jesus way of coming to him, of surrendering our lives, of choosing to follow him, is a life of freedom. This is what Paul is calling Tim to. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. I love this. He says, the more we let God take us over, the more truly ourselves are become. Because he made us. He invented us. He invented all the different people that you and I were intended to be. It is when I turn to Christ, when I give up myself to his personality, that I first begin to have a real personality of my own. So coming to Jesus, being godly, living in him, all these things that Paul is calling Timothy to in this passage, is not about a constricting life. The Christian life opens you up into salvation freedom and actually frees you to become who God truly calls you to be. If you want to be who you feel you are called to be deep in your heart and your soul, to have a life of meaning and goodness and and significance, come to Jesus and let him transform you into the new creation he's called you to be. When we surrender ourselves to Jesus, Paul says in 2 Corinthians this way, that we become a new creation. And he's absolutely right. The old has passed. The new has come. A new creature. And this is marked by godliness and contentment, seeking him, living in him, not being confined to a narrow legalism, but alive in the freedom he gives us. You can see the same kind of comparison in Matthew 5.20. Jesus calls his disciples to a different kind of living, different quality of living. And it's different from the rule-keeping of the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees take a lot of pride in their outward appearances, uh, they had all sorts of extra regulations that they added to the biblical ones. They'd like, gotten really detailed, kind of minute regulations and were very, they often sort of had to wave their fingers at each other about how they could do things right. Really uplifting people to be around, just the best people to have over for coffee, telling you how to do everything. Um, they were obsessed with looking good on the outside but having impure hearts. And by contrast, Jesus calls us to a greater righteousness than the Pharisees. And at first, the disciples think, how on earth is that possible? These people have all the rules and keep them, are trying to keep them, how righteous they are. And Jesus says, actually, kingdom righteousness comes from the inside out. Let God transform your heart. And then let that flow out in fruit in the way you live your life. Change your heart and it will change your motives. And in that way, the conduct of Jesus' disciples, the righteousness of the disciples, exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees. You can have everything look good on the outside of your life, but be broken inside. Jesus calls us to get the inside transformed, to come to him, to receive salvation, to receive newness of life, and then let that spill out in our actions and our love for others. It exceeds that facade, that fake kind of righteousness that the Pharisees put on. So learning to be godly isn't about Pharisee list keeping. It's about entering into life with Jesus, spending time with him, not just following the rules. And it flows 
from being in fellowship with God. Another C.S. Lewis quote, he says, Jesus says this to us, give me all. I don't want just so much of your time and just so much of your money and just so much of your work. Jesus says, I want you. True wealth is a relationship with God which flows into relationship with others. I love how Eugene Peterson translates uh, 1 Tim 6, 6 to 8 in the message. He puts it this way. It's really good. He says, it's the devout life. This is the godliness of contentment, right? A devout life does bring wealth, but it's the rich simplicity of being yourself before God. Since we enter the world penniless, we'll leave it penniless. If we have bread on the table and shoes on our feet, that's enough. Mom, uh, I remember this old song that mom played once in a while. I was on cassette tape. Remember those? And uh, part of the chorus said, we had patches on our bridges, but mama kept us neat. We had food on the table and shoes on our feet. I was thinking of that as I uh, read through this passage this week. Paul is calling us as Christians to a life lived in God, sort of a sort of uh, presence and, and friendship with God, a sort of life with him. And then a contentment, it's godliness with contentment, is great gain. And that contentment is a sort of happiness with a simple life. Now notice what he says in verses 9 to 12. He says, this is Paul again, Those who desire to be rich, they fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Then he goes on, and then he calls Timothy to fight the good fight in verse 11 and 12. What's condemned here is not so much um, the material things per se, but the desire to just get rich for riches' sake. Uh, because it can lead us into temptation, and the results turn into all kinds of evil. And that's what Paul's getting at. He's sort of listing, like it just sort of takes over your life. The warning is not that Love of money is harmful, but that this will actually pull people away from their faith in Jesus. And it'll show unbelievers who, uh, who they really are, which is quite intense to think about this way. And it's almost like Jesus' parable of the sower, where he says the word goes out, right? It's like a sower spreading the seed, and spreads, the, spreads the seed around, and the seed lands in different types of soil and, and, and responds differently in different types of soil. And the parable is about the soil of your heart. Um, how does the word of God respond when it hits your heart? Is your heart ready to respond to God's word? Or is there things there that distract, stop the, the seed of God's word from taking root in your life? And he talks about the seed falling on the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth, says Jesus. The deceitfulness of wealth chokes the word and makes it unfruitful. There's this sense that, yes, I can hear God's word, I can begin to respond to it, but if I don't lay aside all of the allures and temptations of life that tell me it should be more about getting and less about responding to God's giving, it will choke out the word of God. And as we head to Advent, it was great having Steve Bell here this past week, and Steve made a great point about Advent and about it can be a season of needing to welcome again Jesus into our hearts and into our lives. And sometimes our lives get cluttered with stuff. 
uh, our minds get cluttered and we need to remove some things. We need to put aside some things so we can welcome Jesus again into our hearts and into our lives. And I wonder sometimes, what are the allures in my life that I struggle with? What are the temptations in my life? What are the distractions in my life that are actually pulling me away from a deeper life with Jesus? What are the, the habits and the patterns that I just go to? It might not even be overtly sinful, but just that it's so easy to just get distracted, right? It just distract me from, from a life of God or a life of my family. And what are those things? And so, Lord, help me as I come to Christmas and remembering again you coming into the world. Lord, I need you to come afresh into my life. Let my heart be a manger. And let me clear out the garbage to lay in the fresh haven. And here, Paul is calling Timothy to just that sort of thing. Be aware of the temptations of life, the desire to get rich, all of that stuff. Let your heart be fertile ground for the seed of of the word of God. Let your heart be like a manger with fresh hay for Christ to come. He calls us to do the same. I think it's one of the saddest things that I've seen in pastoral ministry, but in Christian ministry just generally, is seeing people on fire for God and then to see the, the worries of life choke out that fire. And many of you have known or seen that happen. Someone who's just just super excited about Jesus and they're living the life and everything's great and they're on such a high and they crash. And there's no root, right? There's been lots of stock and maybe a nice flower on top. It all looks really pretty. They're just giving her. But there's no root for when actual issues come in life. And there's no ability to take out temptation or to ground themselves in God's word. It's so hard to see someone who's doing so well suddenly kind of come crashing down the love of money or the love of self gets in the way. To combat the allure of the world, Paul's calling Timothy here to be rooted in Jesus. He's calling him to remember his discipleship, to be disciple. And I, I wanted to ask this question because it's really important, and I'm working on this, um, it's really important for us as a church to have a strategic plan to do discipleship well. Um, many of us, and myself included, oftentimes we, we come to church on Sunday, right? Good? good. That's, that's a good habit to get into. Um, but we just sort of come and we do our hour, or an hour and a half, and then we go, right? And that's it. And uh, that's really good and really important. But if I were to ask, how many of you actually feel that you're being discipled? Um, I'd be really curious to know. If you feel you're just sort of coasting in your Christian faith, you're kind of getting by, or are you actually being sort of mentored into a deeper life? Because that's really important. Um, God, Jesus calls us to make disciples, right? We often say, tells us, make disciples, not just converts, right? We're not just called to have churches full of people who don't know Jesus. We're called to actually have churches full of people who are going out into the community who have a rich life in God, who are being disciples. Um, I have found, this is totally a side note. <laughs> this is farther. Um, if you would like me to disciple you, one-on-one mentorship, I probably have time for two or three that I can do that with. If you're a guy, I won't do one-on-one with a girl. Sorry, girls. 
I'm someone else. But if you're a guy and you are like, I need to be discipled, I just don't feel like I'm growing in Jesus, and I want that, come talk to me, because I would love to do that with you. In fact, I found this material looks really good. I've started with one guy already. If, if it continues to look good, I'd really like us to see it start a wholesale church, to have spiritual moms and dads that can mentor those of you who feel sort of younger in the faith, or you just need to be encouraged again. It's about meeting weekly for maybe an hour and going through a discipleship course. It's really, really good, really powerful. If that's you, and you feel like you need to be discipled, doesn't matter how old you are, how long you've been a Christian or not, but you just say, I just need someone. I want to come along. I want to grow. I'm tired of just kind of coasting. That's you. Come talk to me. And if you're a girl, there's, there's a lot of mature, awesome Christian women in this church who would love to mentor you. Um, but let's do it. Like, why? What are we sitting around? Right? Why don't we just sort of post it off? Paul calls Timothy to a deep faith. And I love how this presents, that's the end of the discipleship side note. Talking about wealth as we near the end here. I love that Paul doesn't say everyone who's rich is terrible. So that's easy to suddenly go down that road if we're talking about money and contentment. But he does say this. Look at verse 17. He says, as for the rich in this present age, they're all terrible. No, he doesn't at all, right? What does he do? He, he addresses the attitude first. So it's so easy to get our attitude sideways. He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Like, okay, if you have money, don't be, don't be an idiot about it. Don't go haunting it. Duh. You know, be a nice person. Come on. Don't be haughty, full of yourself. That's what that means. Don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Don't let it control your life to think that this is how, you know, this is how your life is sort of charted because money can disappear pretty quick sometimes, right? Set your hope on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And then he says this, there to do good works, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Are we to be... <laughs> To be what? Do good works. He says it twice, right? Do good, be rich in good works, be generous, be ready to share, which is also like saying generous again. Says it twice. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. It's like, yeah, you've got money here and now. What are you going to do with that so that you can actually be truly rich spiritually in your life with Jesus? So that you can take hold of that which is truly and I think that's so good. He doesn't say, if you're wealthy, you're a terrible person, you can't enjoy that wealth. He doesn't say anything like that. What he does say, use your wealth to prepare for a good future. Use your wealth in ways that are generous. Use your wealth to share with others. Use your wealth for good works. Use your wealth to build up the kingdom of God. And some of us have money in this congregation. Some of us don't have a lot. Some of us are somewhere in between. Um, but for those of you that maybe have more than less, this is for you. Don't let the money be the thing you put your hope in. That job could disappear. Right? That RESP could disappear. Whatever it is. I don't know. <laughs> you tell where I'm at. I don't know what it's called. Progress or something. Some kind of savings something. I don't know. I'm a bastard. Like, I don't know what's going on. You may have noticed as I wrap up the series, I haven't actually said you all need to tithe. 
Um, and that's because the New Testament doesn't actually command Christians to tithe to give 10%. Ah! Yeah, said it. Um, watch the giving product. No. And so, uh, actually, actually, if you read all the passages, it's actually probably more than 10%, if you're honest. Um, what the New Testament does really emphasize is to give joyfully, generously, and sacrificially. So I've said before, I said two weeks ago, we give, I give 10% of my, of my paycheck. Just goes back to the church. Um, and then we have some other stuff. Actually, they took our World Vision kit away from us. It was hilarious. I was saying we were doing some other stuff. Sarah got a phone call and said, your sponsor child moved away. We don't know where they are. So here's a new one. <laughs> and suddenly she had this new one. She was like, uh, what? What, what about so-and-so? Yeah, well, they just moved away. Do you want this other one? We're like, uh, do, do we? <laughs> it, was, it was funny. Um, we still have red somewhere in Rwanda. So it's all good. Um, so I've said before, we give 10% and we were giving to some other stuff as well. Um, again, I want to read the C.S. Lewis quote about it. And, and if you feel the Lord calling you to give 10% tithe, you probably should. If you feel Him calling you to give more, then you should probably do that too. If it's a very, very difficult season and you think, I just can't give anything at all, I would still challenge you to try giving 10% and see if God doesn't come through for you. And if he totally doesn't come through for you, you come talk to me. Love discussion. Um, my guess is you probably can. If you go for coffee every day, you probably get 10%. Just talk. Just uh, put that out there. Oh my goodness. Nicholas. Actually, just to let you know, giving's been really, really good. Giving church is really good. Uh, we're really blessed. Um, but if you're not giving, God actually does call you to. So this isn't the church asking for money. This is just Nick as a pastor saying this says in the Bible. It's probably a good idea. Uh, so you should probably do it. Make sense? I like what Lewis says here. This is from your Christianity. He says, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditures on comfort and luxuries and amusements, etc., is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own. We're probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do, because our charitable expenditure excludes them. It's probably a safe rule. That's that sense of sacrificial giving, right? There might be things in life I wish I could go do, but I probably can't. Because I've given something away. And that's okay. That's that godliness with contentment is great pain. Be extravagantly generous, ready to share, rich in helping others, rich in the life of Christ. And as Paul is saying, you know, true wealth comes from godliness and contentment, life with God, life with others. They did this study, I watched this TED talk, they did this study, a 75 year long study on happiness. Maybe you've seen it. Um, which is incredible, right? To do a 75 long year study with the same people. So like, they started really young, now they're old. Anyway, they did a study on happiness. Recently, there was this survey among millennials of what are you, like, how are you going to be happy? What do you think you're going to do when you grow up? That sort of thing. And a whole bunch of them, huge percentage said, I'm going to be happy by getting lots of money, like 8%. 
And then 50% or so said, I'm going to become really famous, and that's how I'll have a good life and be really happy. Uh, anyway, they did this study, a 75-year study, and they realized basically this one point. It's good relationships that make you happy. Period. Healthy relationships with people are the key to living a longer and more fulfilled life. And physically healthier. They actually talked about people with mental health issues, people with aches and pains, actually report feeling less of those symptoms when they're in good relationships with others. Like your friendships actually help you feel better. And 75 years ago, these guys were all young adults. They said the same thing, like money and fame is what's going to make me feel really good and be happy. Same as today, like that hasn't changed, right? Boo on the millennials, but like that's exactly the same with the other guys. So don't you know, don't get too caught up in that. But they all they all realized no, it wasn't that at all. Had nothing to do with that. Their happiness quotient had nothing to do with how much they made over the course of their life. It had everything to do with investing in their relationships. How incredibly true, hey? And so he said, like, we all know relationships are important, so why don't we do it? And he said, it's just because we're human, and we just want a quick fix. Right? Relationships are messy, and they, like, require time of you and, like, being with people, you know? And, like, it's not always fun. And, like, it's hard to work, right? But he said, if you lean into that, over and over the studies show that people who fared best in life weren't the people who were rich, it was the people who leaned into relationships with their family and their friends, made new friends, who worked on having a healthy marriage, you know, all that kind of thing. And so he ends, the guy who gave the talk, ended with this advice. It fits right into what we're talking about here. He said, how do, you, how do you lean into doing relationships then? He says, well, the possibilities are practically endless. It might be something as simple as replacing screen time with people time. Uh, or livening up a stale relationship by doing something new together. Long walks or date nights. Really dramatic stuff, right? Like, really out there. Need lots of money to do this. No. Or reaching out to that family member who you haven't spoken to in years. Because those all too common family feuds take a terrible toll on people who hold the grudges. Good life is built on good relationships. Relationships with one another. And as Paul would say, a relationship with Jesus. Lean into that and you will be truly rich. And if you have wealth, give generously. Be wise with it. Remember we talked last week about the guy who had the business venture and went sideways and just ruined his life, right? Don't be silly with it. Don't be haughty with it. Be wise, give generously, but lean first and foremost into a life with God. Be godly and be content. Love God, love one another. That's the call for us. This is the path to freedom. So I want to ask us today as I wrap it up, what are the things in your life that uh, distract you from growing in a relationship with God? Are there, are there temptations or allures or things in your life that, that are calling you to lean more into like wanting to be a getter instead of a receiver? You know, leaning into uh, wanting to build something for yourself or have money or status or whatever it might be instead of responding to God's mercy and 
sharing that with others. It's kind of a different orientation of the heart, but is there something you're struggling with um, that's, that's hindering a, a walk with God? And God is inviting you today with the grace of His Holy Spirit to let that go. And to come to fresh and new hope in Him and new relationship with Him. You've been to church any time before, I'm sure you've heard that, but we need to keep rehearing that because it's so easy to get off track and to get sort of caught up in, in the issues in our world and the allures of our world. That's what's happening with Timothy. Paul's writing to remind him, no, no, fight the good fight. Hold fast to godliness. Hold fast to a contentment, a peace in your heart that God's provided for you. You're okay. Lean into relationship with Jesus. Lean into relationship with one another. That's true wealth. God will look after the rest. Um, so where is God calling you to give? Is he calling you into a, a season of generosity? Is he calling you into a season of, of reconnecting with someone, perhaps? Where can you invest in true wealth in your life? Life of God and life of one another. Does that make sense? I hear uh, yeah. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that we are so richly blessed and we use the word richly uh, intentionally realizing that the true wealth in our lives comes from our life with you. Lord, that because of you we are free from the bondages of sin and evil. And Lord, though we will experience death, you have ultimately defeated that enemy as well. And so Lord, our true life is bound up in you. And we look to you, Lord, today. We look to you for the needs in our own lives. We pray that you would come and bring clarity and provision and life and peace to our hearts with different things going on in our families. Lord, we pray you would guard our hearts, Lord, from the, the allure and the temptation of, of that money and finances can be the the desire to make that our security instead of finding security in you. Um, Lord, we just recognize um, the slipperiness of our hearts that can just get distracted from you and, and um, looking, looking in other places, Lord, for value and meaning. And so Jesus, just today we come with repentance, not to feel all down on ourselves, but just to say, Lord, forgive us for the times where we've, we've just fallen off this the times we've fallen, the times we've just been distracted. And Lord, would you pick us up, dust us off, and encourage us to keep walking with you. Lord, we want to invest in a life with you. We want to be disciples who are grounded and growing in you. Lord, help us to invest in, in time with you and time with one another. Lord, for those of us who have money to spare, Show us how to follow your words here, Lord, to be rich in good works, to use our money in ways that will really benefit people, that will love people, that will serve you and your kingdom. And uh, Lord, guard our attitudes. Help us not to be haughty. Help us not to be full of ourselves, but to recognize our true worth and value isn't in what we have. It's not in what's in the bank account. It's not in how big the house is. It's not in, in what car we drive. But Lord, our true wealth is found in you. It's our relationship with you, Jesus, that is truly rich. So Lord, I just pray for my friends this morning.
as we go into this week, that you would guard our hearts, that you would continue to lead us by the Holy Spirit. Lord, fill us fresh. Help us to love the people in our lives that are difficult to love. And help us to be willing to witness, Lord, to the true wealth, uh, the great gain that we found in you. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? Speak the benediction over you. Thank you for your patience for a little later, but that's okay, because we pray with people. So, like, how can that be bad? It's all good. If you would like prayer, 